Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome back to the channel. And as you can see, once again, I'm joined by James Benj of CBS, which means it is inside Arsenal. Extra time, a little bit different again this week, doing it in the morning rather than in the evening, uh, partly because of timings, but just found out James is not feeling very well as well, which is, uh, which is bad, but he's promised that he's going to strap himself up, get himself through, play through the pain and uh, and yeah, put himself out for us. So, how are you doing, James? A little bit under the weather, I hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, who knows if this was a few years ago? Maybe Arsenal could have got a fixture postponed because uh, I was feeling under the weather. Um, yeah, it's been a sort of it's been a smart week to be ill. I think all the return of the Champions League football and this never-ending February uh, caught up with me. Um, but yeah, hopefully fit and fit and ready for. For a weekend of of high drama and whatever comes on Monday, which hopefully won't be dramatic. No, hopefully it won't. You say never end in February. We are actually in March now. First first day of spring. First day of meteorological spring. I don't understand what meteorological is. What surely it's just the first day of spring. <laughs> I don't understand. I've just got back from doing a school run, and honestly, it is absolutely tipping it down. It did not feel like spring at all. It was one of the. You've got these delights to come a few years down the line, mate. But school runs in the wet are oh, just monstrosities. They, they're bad enough in the best of times, let alone when it's tipping it down. Um, well, yeah. my daffodils are coming out because luckily I'm of the age where I can sort of think about my garden. Um, so the daffodils are, are coming. We've got the blossom in the trees. Um, but yeah, it doesn't feel like spring at all. Although city are in good form, so it must be spring. They are in good form, but Arsenal are in better form, aren't they? It's, they're sensational. I, I was saying to my editor, who is the sort of guy who, um, you know, professionally keeps across all the big clubs. And obviously we cover the Champions League. It's our job to be aware of what's happening in every big club. And I said to him, I think Arsenal are the best team in Europe right now. And uh, he was like, you're right, probably. 
possible. Well, I, don't think, I don't think you can argue that right now. I'm not saying they're the best team in Europe, full stop. But right now, I don't think you can possibly argue against it when you look at the the numbers. It's, Unless you call uh, Porto undeniable. You see that? I mean, you're an XG now. I know the XG of goals conceded over the since the turn of the year is just mental, like absolute or, or big chances conceded and stuff like that. It's so mm. mad. It's just ridiculous numbers. 0.3 expected goals against per game in the Premier League. Um, I think Galeno's, not the goal, um, those near misses in the Champions League were about more XG than Arsenal have given up just those chances in any Premier League game this season. Um, it's, it, it, this like we have to, I, and I got a bit of grief when I wrote after the win over Newcastle. I, I kind of said, look, this can't last. And people well, are like, oh, there's no way it can. Yeah, we're getting Timber back, we're getting Partey back. It's sort of like, yeah, but this is um this is struck gold levels, this is alchemy. And Arsenal, I think, will be while this back four and the, the depth they have is there, they will be one of the best defenses in Europe week in, week out for years. But that doesn't mean they will be miracle miraculous keeping opponents down to next two or three shots on target. David Raya might as well get a subscription to the Sunday Times for the amount of work he has to do uh, in the net. I don't think that will last, but I think they're going to be a really good defence right the way through this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about that, but there's just, like you said, there's no way you can continue at this sort of levels of uh, of shutouts that they're doing. They're just... Maybe could to, maybe could on Monday night, though. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Although, again, the sort of pessimist in me, I just look at that. And I know there is literally on paper with number, there is nothing to worry about about that game. And yet I still sit here worrying about it, thinking it's that classic banana skin where everything's going well. I was listening on the school run, actually. I was listening on Talk Sport and they were doing the odds for the game. And I think Sheffield United at home were 18 to 1. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, this is going to go right. This is going to be so classic Arsenal. They're going to go there and lose, aren't they? But that is a pessimist in me. Obviously, there's no reason that that should happen, given the form of both sides at the moment. I mean, all signs point to another comfortable win. But um, yeah, I still can't shake the feeling that there's always some disaster just around the corner when it comes to uh, when it comes to following Arsenal. But right now, I mean, it's did you well when when Newcastle scored it, when Arsenal were four 0 up? Did your mind also immediately go to? No, it, it couldn't happen again at the Emirates, could it? It immediately happened. I 4-0, 4-0, especially against Newcastle, will scar me until the day I die. It's, no, that's never going to go away. So, uh, yeah, no, it immediately came back to me. It was a good goal by Joe Willett, that. Really good header. Really nice. So it's really 5-0 to Arsenal. Yeah, exactly, 5-0. No only Arsenal players can score against Arsenal at the moment with this, with this run of form. I mean, it's been a... <sighs> We'll talk about Sheffield United in a minute. Um, I was down at Colney yesterday for the press conference, obviously, and um, Mikel, you can quite understand, Blue is actually in a very good mood, which is no surprise, because if you can't be in a good mood right now, when are you ever going to be in a good mood as Arsenal manager? Um, and, yeah, so we'll talk about what he had to say ahead of the game against Sheffield United. Some good news on the injury front. I mean, for the first Ooh. time in a long time, Arsenal getting very, very close to having a fully fit squad available. Fingers crossed it, it, it stays that way. So we'll talk about that. We've got some questions and comments always, as always. Uh, to get involved in. But I wanted to start um, start today's show on Jorginho, who is, you know, Arsenal are sort of planning, we here to to sort of sit down and discuss the possibility of a new contract with Jorginho, um, you know, a proper new contract. So not on his former terms, you know, actually reward him for his 
performances with a you know maybe a one plus one something like that or maybe a two plus one type contract um I mean he was sensational again against Newcastle wasn't he on uh on Saturday night I found it really hard watching that game not thinking why didn't you play against Porto um maybe it's just a case he can't really play at that level three mm. every three days now but um it was an absolute masterclass from from Jorginho again and every time he plays at the moment he seems to get mad in the match and play and just I mean does he warrant a, a you know a proper brand new fresh contract potentially of two years and a and a another year's option? What would you, what would your thoughts on it be? Absolutely, and I mean two plus one feels a long deal for. Correct me if I'm wrong. Thirty two. I'm just checking. Actually. I think he is thirty two. I'm just double checking. But yeah, yeah he's thirty three he's he's in December. Oh, his birthday's one day before mine. Oh, December babies. Yeah. I'm sure he has rubbish Christmases every year. So in that for that reason alone, give him as many years as he wants. Um, I two plus one immediately feels like a long term commitment to me. But then you, you have to remind yourself that you know. And I spent a year talking about oh the real problem with Jorginho is he doesn't have enough pace. Actually, when he's 32, 33, the real joy of Jorginho is he's never had enough pace, and therefore his will not have to adapt his game pretty much whatsoever as he enters the the twilight years. And, mm. you know, when you surround him with dynamic players like Chelsea did when Kante was at the peak of his powers, like Arsenal obviously have with Declan Rice, I think you can mitigate that one issue and those strengths he has, you know, we see someone like, I think he's a different player to PLO. But, you know, I think there are similarities and that ability to set tempo and rhythm. Pirlo was showing that as he was getting towards 40 years of age. So well, what's Tony Cruz now over at Real Madrid? How old is Tony Cruz? Six. And playing the best football. That's a really good point. Playing the best football of his career by all accounts. And I I wouldn't be... No, he's 34. Is he 34? 34, yeah. I thought that's... Is, is it Modric? Modric is 38, I think. Well, and... Modric probably plays a role. I mean, he does play a role for Madrid that's pretty similar to what Jorginho plays, where mm. you know he doesn't play week in week out, but there is no fear to chuck him in to the biggest games. Maybe even if he hasn't played in two or three weeks. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, if I'm Arsenal, I'm probably starting out the offer at one plus one because you don't want to commit long term money. You know, with someone at that age, you just don't want to gamble. But it, you know, I suppose, if, I suppose the thing there is. And I imagine there will be lots of interest. Well, we've seen his agents talking all the time about mm. interest from clubs in Italy. And I wouldn't be at all surprised, given the pace of football in Serie A at times, um, that there are Italian clubs that would be willing to offer two plus two plus one or something like that at this age. So I suppose if you want to have a realistic chance of keeping him, you might have to go to what those clubs are, are, are throwing towards him. And I think you have to keep him. Um, you know, we know that El Nenny is almost certainly off in the summer. I think whether Arsenal get interested in Partey that they would be happy to talk about with any interested parties, we'll see. But, you know, you can't plan around Thomas Partey. If he stays, then maybe it means you can't go and buy another midfielder this summer if you've kept Jorginho as well. Uh, maybe you can. Like, it depends on all the wages. depends what Jorginho wants. He's entitled to a very good contract considering his form. But, you know, right now he's he's playing at such a high level that he is of immense value to this squad. And whatever his age, you just don't let someone like that walk out. And, you know, Arsenal have the look of a team that's going to be Champions League 
qualifiers every year that he's at the club. So you can probably eat decent wages for Jorginho, even if you think at the back end of that contract in year two, the Premier League might become a bit too fast-paced for him. And also, like you say, like you didn't buy Jorginho for twelve million, thinking you were going to make a profit on him at all. No. You would never make a profit, even if he was twenty-three. Um, we know what Serie A clubs are like; they're not going to offer you a deal that makes you a great profit. He would have he would have takers at the end of year one, I'm sure, unless something goes badly wrong that we can't foresee. So, I you know I would sort of want to get this one resolved quite quickly. I'd be saying to Jorginho, give us a sheet sheet of paper. What do you want to sign? And uh, I wouldn't be looking to change that too radically. No, I, I can't really disagree with anything you say. I think he I think he's a must keep. I think I've seen no signs to suggest to him that he's going to suddenly fall off a cliff in the next year or so, even two years. I look at some of the players who I compare to him and, you know, I put sort of Tony Cruz in that, maybe Modric, like you said, um, those sort of players. And they're just, it's not, yeah, when you're not, when you're not blessed with pace, when you've never been blessed with pace and you play in that, play in that position, it's not, you know, it's just not the, the worst thing. Since the moment he's walked through the door, we've always said, oh, I wonder if he's got the legs to to still do it. And he, he absolutely has. And like you said, when you've got sort of Declan Rice behind him and Martin Odegaard in front of him at times, I mean, you can't get two more better players to play around a player who maybe doesn't quite have that the sort of the pace that um, that we often talk about in, as a central midfielder needs in the Premier League. So, no, I, I think he's a must. And I think what he gives behind the scenes as well, which I know a lot of people don't really care about, but it is it is really important, especially when you're a young team like Arsenal and an inexperienced team like Arsenal. I think he just gives he gives so much to that team on and off the pitch that I think he's absolutely a uh, absolutely a must must keep for me. Would you um would you keep him in the side for Sheffield United? Oh no, oh I don't want to be cavalier about this game. So I mean, I certainly would not be sort of pitch has just popped up there. Thomas Partey off the bench for 10 minutes, 15 yeah. minutes. Let's not go beyond that because, you know, Arsenal have a relatively favourable run of fixtures. They can ease him in, especially now the Chelsea game has gone. Also, I don't want to do anything that might allow Garner to call him up over the international break. It, I don't think Garner are playing. I've looked, there's no fixtures. Are they not? No, they, their next fixtures oh, are in June. They'll find a way. They've definitely, no, they've definitely got none penciled in, Garner. So unless they... Yeah. They, they're planning a like a camp or something for a, mm. for a week or so just with a new match because they've, they've sacked Hooten. I don't know if they've appointed yeah. a new manager yet, but yeah, there's no, there's nothing penciled in in terms of fixtures for them. Right. Well, I mean that's that that's fantastic news and all the more of a a reason to make sure that you know you're not gambling with Partey's fitness now. He, you, it should sort of be laser focus on March the thirty first, which suddenly looks very real. I'm very you've right got to now. play him enough, haven't you, before that game? Yeah, it's a balancing sure. act. But I don't. I, again, like when Jorginho is playing this well, I think you want to be thinking about Partey at the Etihad as the guy you bring on around the half hour to go mark, and just say, let's what you know, whatever the context, because you know another shrewd, intelligent player that can adapt the game to the game as it is. So, yeah. Very, I I would think this might be a game for something a bit that we haven't seen before, like ultra technical. Smith Rowe, Trossard, and oh, well, I want you know, you need to keep Martinelli in there, but I think this could be a game for for a. I certainly would see want to see Havertz 
I, I, there's so many good Arsenal players, I can't fit them all into one team. But let's say a front five of Erdegaard, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Havertz, Trossard, like a bit more fluid. I'd be intrigued. I think this is a great opportunity to experiment with things, knowing that if something goes wrong at half time, you've got Gabriel Jesus on the bench, you've got Gabriel Martinelli on the bench, mm-hmm. and they would be maybe better suited to playing a tiring defence anyway. See, John here has got in touch and he says he wouldn't change the squad on Monday. It's a winning formula. But then he says, that said, Ramsdale has to play against Brentford in two weeks' time. So I'd play Ramsdale against Sheffield United as he needs the minutes. He might not get a touch of the ball, but he was so nervous when he came on last time with no minutes behind him that playing against Sheffield United is a must before he plays a tougher game against Brentford just to calm his nerves. It's a very good point. I don't think think it'll happen. I think David Ryer will start against Brentford. um, uh, Sorry, against Sheffield United and, and Ramsdale just be thrown in against Brentford but it is a very good point he was clearly nervous in that first game I wonder now if it's all settled down a little bit the goalkeeping debate that it might not be quite such a big talking point when Ramsdale mm-hmm. came in for the first game it was obviously a huge talking point because it was still relatively fresh I think now it has settled down you know everyone knows David Rye is the number one maybe the spotlight won't be on it so much and he's at the Emirates where he's not you know at Brentford he got every time the ball went near him the fans are on him and making a big thing about it, especially as it was Brentford and the David Rye connection. You know, he's going to get nothing but love Ramsdale when he comes out of the Emirates for that game. And so hopefully I think that might make a little bit of a difference as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of keeping the same squad for for Sheffield United, I, I kind of agree. I'm not sure I'd be playing Jorginho in this one. Um, mm. I, I, I Like you, I think it could be more of a Smith Road type game, like a Nottingham Forest away. He might go down that sort of route. Um, I don't think he needs to balance too much, though, because of that game against Chelsea has been postponed. You know, Arsenal yeah. many, many matches coming up. So I don't think the need to rotate is that important. But I do look at that game coming up against Porto and think, you know, because I want I want Gabriel Jesus in that game against Porto. I want Jesus really mm. to play Porto. And, and I wonder if you've got a, you know, even Thomas Partey potentially as well. I don't know yet, but I wonder if, Mikel's going to be looking at that Porto game and looking at these two games that are coming up and sort of working out exactly what minutes everyone needs to play to get to Porto to be in the best possible shape. Um, you know, I'm not expecting Jesus to start on Monday night. I'm certainly not expecting Thomas Party to start on Monday night. Um, but they will get minutes off the bench. And um, it's just nice to be able to say that, isn't it? Like you there saying, oh, if you start Trossard, suddenly you've got the option of bringing on Martinelli or Jesus. I mean, <laughs> it's a very nice option to have and one that just a few weeks ago just felt, you know, like there was, it was we were never going to get to this point. And it feels like we've been inching to a, a point throughout the season of like horses for courses. I mean, Zinchenko as well, again, not someone I would think would play this game. Um, and yet... He's someone that will need to get minutes in his leg because I think if you're going to beat Porto in a week's time, you need uh, someone that can dictate the rhythm, the players that can, like Jorginho, like Zinchenko, that will keep cool heads. I mean, it's just this optionality, isn't it? Because Jacob Kivio's done absolutely nothing wrong and I'd feel very at ease about him playing, but maybe you want someone that gives a bit more cut and thrust and you give... 45 minutes to Zinchenko, 45 to Kivior. It is just, it's it's very, it put, puts your mind at ease. And I think we underappreciate, because there have probably been bigger injury crises in the Premier League, that Arsenal have really, they've lost these 
parts that made them ultra interchangeable and they've just had to sort of keep going through they've done that quite well but it's mm. sort of it's the reverse of last season isn't it is now that you could see a world where this availability just lets them take that one step up um who knows if they left themselves too far behind in the first 20 odd games of the season but it feels like arsenal are peaking in terms of depth versatility and overall quality at just the right moment yeah, it's very opposite to what was happening at this stage last season. Now, you were talking about Kivio there, and I thought Arteta was quite interesting on on Kivio yesterday. James McNicholas, Gunner blogger, was asking mm. him about him at the presser. Um, the quotes are on screen for for people watching now. Um, and he spoke about how you know Arsenal made the decision to bring him in earlier than they originally were going to because they felt it needed some time to bed in and, and stuff like that. And um, I thought this bit was really interesting where he says... Uh, we have made it difficult for him for two reasons. One, because he hasn't played that many minutes. And secondly, because we've asked him to play in a position he's never played before. It's like pulling William Saliba into fullback and saying, tomorrow perform and <laughs> do what we have to do. I think he's adapted really well when he's playing better and better. You can tell that he is earning confidence and physically he is better. He understands the role much better and he has been really, really good. Um, and he has been. I think Kivio has been a bit of an unsung hero in, the, in this run. Um, you sort of go back to the Fulham game where he really struggled at Craven Cottage, mm. he was taken off at half time. Then Arteta made the sort of tweak that he has with Ben White now playing the inverted role. And Kivior just looks so much more comfortable there, but not just comfortable. I think he just looks, and Mikel said it, um, where he says he's earning confidence and he just looks a lot more confidence now. You can see just little things that I've noticed, like in the Burnley game, where I thought he played really well up at, mm. up at Burnley and he made a couple of blocks. And he was up there sort of celebrating and defend, you know, the Arsenal defenders are doing that a lot now. They're celebrating blocks, celebrating tackles. And I just looked at it and thought, I think before Kivior wouldn't have done that. I'm not sure he would have felt confident enough to go up there and sort of chest bump with with Gabriel. But now I think he just he looks like he's got a bit of an aura of a player who feels like for the first time since he's been here, that he actually kind of belongs in this squad. Um and yeah, I think he deserves a lot of credit because he, he's you know, he came over very, you know, un quickly. I mean, Mikel said it himself, they weren't really planning on it and suddenly they did it. So he probably wasn't thinking it was going to happen in January. And then suddenly you come over here, you don't speak English. You're relatively inexperienced. You know, you've kind of been in Italy a short, short time. Before that, you were playing over in Poland or wherever he was playing. And suddenly you're in the Premier League with Arsenal in a title race. I mean, he had to learn on the job very, very quickly. And um, no, I'm not saying he's a long-term option at left-back. I definitely don't think he's the long-term option at left-back, but I think he's showing that he's a really smart piece of transfer business from Arsenal and he's got an awful lot to offer. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for the way he's performing at the moment. I, I think because of the nature of Mikel Arteta's squad as well, I don't think Kivior gets much of the allowances that are afforded to other young players because you look at the Arsenal squad and you're like, 24, you should be a veteran. But, you know, I think he's a young 24, like you were saying. His career in top five European leagues was not a lengthy one before he mm. came to Arsenal. And I spoke to people early on in January um, that were sort of saying, that were saying, look, it, it took him a while to feel comfortable in England. I think it's culturally very distinct from the life he's lived before. Uh, and I think it was... It, uh, what did he come from? Where did, what was the, the Italian club he came from again? Remind me. Spezia, wasn't it? Spezia. Yeah. I, I only, I mean, I could have, I just didn't want to pick out a random Italian club and say this. But I think it would be fair to say that when he came, the jump from Spezia to uh, Arsenal Premier League title challenges was a real test for him early on to settle in, just to the level of training, not not 
least the Premier League. And he'd been, sorry, good to butt in there. Before that, he hadn't been in um, Poland. He'd been playing in Slovakia. I mean, so that, was, that was his career was basically Slovakia, then a couple of years of Spezia, then bang, you're at Arsenal. It's a, a huge step up. And I think, you know, what, like you say, all those things when you don't speak the language, and this is something we need to talk about, about Timber in the future as well, although he does speak the language of like settling in a new country, finding your rhythm in a squad that is already really well established and they're just are not going to be minutes for you. Um, but the one thing I'd say is, I think Kivior's embraced that challenge off the field. All that talk in January about him potentially leaving, there was nothing to it. He wanted to stay. He wanted to fight for his place. We'll see how long that lasts into the future. Like you say, is he Arsenal's long-term answer at left-back? Probably not. Is he going to overhaul Gabriel, who, by the way, as the central centre-back, looks exceptional? Probably not. And he's a really talented 24-year-old, so we'll see. But, you know, I think he's he's understood that this is a challenge that can propel his career, and he's taken to it. And, yeah. Not the best inverted fullback stepping into midfield, but most most fullbacks couldn't do that, let alone most centre-backs. Um, and I really like him. And I, I feel like you've got this quartet now for the toughest games defensively that you could trust. Or you could bring Tommy Asu in, or you could bring, when he's fully fit, maybe next season, Timber. Um, it's nice, nice to have optionality, isn't it? There is loads of options there. There really is. I mean, you talk about Timber. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Um, and, you know, it's fantastic that he's, that he's back, that he's training. Still, I imagine probably, what, a month I've got in my head, I would think, before maybe we yeah. see, him, see him with the first team. I wonder if you might get a couple of runouts on the under-21s. Um, I haven't looked at what their fixtures are like over the next couple of weeks, but I wonder if we might see him get, you know, get. So I think, I mean, Hector certainly did that when he came back from his ACL, didn't he? Hector had a, had a couple of games with, mm-hmm. the, with the under 21s first, so that would make sense rather than him just going straight into the, um, into the Premier League squad. Mikel was talking about him yesterday. He said it's been a joy to sort of see how he's handled his recovery, and all the physios and medical staff are really happy of his attitude, his commitment, especially with the way he has gone. It's not a coincidence the way he implies himself, how determined he is, his willingness to put every effort into everything that he's demanded to do, and he's in a really good place. Now we have to manage him because it's the last stage of that difficult injury that is complicated, but I think he's on the right way. I mean, he's right to flag it there, that this last stage, although, you know, it's really exciting to see him 
in training and back with the squad and actually doing contact stuff, this is such a crucial stage of that injury because you have to get the timing absolutely right. You have to be 100% sure his knee can handle because it's one thing training. And I know they train, you know, it's really intense when they do training, but there's it's nothing compared to when you're out on the pitch in the middle of a Premier League game. So they've got to get it absolutely right with we year in Timber. And, I, and the, you know, going at 100%, I think when you speak to people that have had knee injuries and we've all interviewed people who've, who've gone through something similar to what Timber has, it, having faith in your knee and and that moment when you're thrown into full, whether it's full contact training and then the next stage of the match is, that's a real challenge because a lot of people, and I, I don't know how Gurian Timber feels about his knee, um, but I know a lot of people that have suffered similar major knee injuries. The big step is actually, and the hard step is that final moment that Arteta was talking about where you have to trust that your knee can can take the strain of an intense training session and then a match like you I I don't I don't think we'll be seeing a, a great deal of him especially like given the Chelsea match being taken off the fixture list um he's I, I feel like it'll be under 21s for a while maybe they try and do something during the international break then like they might have more players back than we than we think um, to build up his strength, his confidence, so that he's able to make contributions in April and May, because it would be any, anything from him this season would be a, a great bonus that we really didn't expect, and Arsenal didn't really expect um, in uh, after, in August on those really sort of sad days after the Forest game. Yeah, I, exactly. I've said it exactly the same as that for a long time. I just think it is anything we get out of Timber this season's a bonus. Um, it really is. But it does look, and it is promising, it does look like we will get something out of him. And mm. like you said, there's so many games to come in April, especially with that Chelsea game to be rearranged. Um, the, there is, you know, he, he could still have a big part to play in this season, even if it is just the odd minute here and there off the, off the bench. So it, it can is I, great. Can I do a very quick moan on the Chelsea game and the stupidity yeah. of the fixture list? Um, I was uh, listening to stuff at uh, some of the, one at the FT Football Business Summit, and there was all this talk about is the fixture list too heavy of the demand? And I was thinking, you know, if you're Arsenal, you've, you go through January to March, you've hardly played any football. And then you get into April, like you've got the fixture list up there, Charles. It's no free midweeks. I know that, I know that the fixture list is sacrosanct and that managers plan way in advance, but several teams, including Arsenal have had games scheduled for the 16th of March cancelled. All power to Chelsea. Congratulations, you actually managed to beat a football team. Um, it, it, the, the sort of failure of imagination to not say, we let's pick out, I don't know, I mean, the North London derby, I know both, but, but a game where two teams are not in the FA Cup, fifth, sixth round, fifth round, sixth round, whatever it is, the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, not pull one of those games forward. It's it beggars belief. Like if there's space to get these games played, get these games played. I know Arsenal will benefit from the the break as well. I'm sure, but I think if you gave Mikel Arteta the option, I think he'd be delighted to to get another game, a Brighton away or or a Luton or whatever. Just get it played. It's stupid. And he was asked about it yesterday, and he said, you know, he was very like, oh look, it is what it is. We knew that it was an option. Now we'll plan to use that time in the best possible way because that would mean. Yeah. That we have a more congested period in April. I mean, it doesn't make too much of a difference that Chelsea game. It basically 
it just it's like one game it gives them an extra mm. three or four days off doesn't it because then it goes straight into the international break yeah the, wor- the thing is though that that Wolves game on the 20th of April is FA Cup semi-final weekend and Wolves have got Coventry in the quarterfinals so if Wolves if Wolves win that <sighs> which you would expect they will then that game yeah. is going to have to be moved and that's the fifth last game of the season and at the moment the Chelsea game looks like it's going to be it was going to be after Wolves and before Spurs so it's going to be on Tuesday or Wednesday before Spurs um and then you would think that Wolves will probably have to go in that penultimate game up between Man United and Everton. It might have to be that, um, which is going to come be, on Coventry, which is going to be very, very interesting <laughs> indeed. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's not it's not ideal. I mean, I suppose, I mean, what Liverpool is still in the FA Cup, Manchester City are in it, still in the FA Cup, yeah. so they're going to be in the same sort of situation. Their games are going to have to, if they keep going through, their games are going to have to be postponed and scheduled for those weekends as well. So um, it is much of a muchness. And Liverpool got Europa League on Thursday nights to deal with. City, you'd think, is certainly going to go deep into the Champions League. So it is all, everyone's in the same boat, I suppose. But yeah, it, it is a bit, um, it is a bit mad that Arsenal have basically had these huge breaks over the last successive couple of months and now suddenly you're looking at an April where you're like how on earth do we play all our games it's just it does feel it does feel a bit mad um I just wanted to talk about Gabriel Jesus who is back and will be involved on Monday night now I was talking yesterday in my show and I said without a shadow of a doubt when he's fit Gabriel Jesus is Arsenal's best striker Mm -hmm. um and a couple of people here or certainly um Eco Bay Guesthouse 59971. Uh, That's a nice plug if that is indeed your guesthouse. I'm sure it sounds lovely. It says, I think there is a hell of a lot of doubt on whether Jesus is our best striker. He has been outscored now for the second season in a row. Availability, attendance is an important part of any organisation. Trossard and Ketty and Hebert both have strong arguments that they should have the main spot. And then KB is on, says, Hi, Charles. Given the scoring success of our Mobile Force 9 style of play, is Gabriel Jesus now our plan B? Which I feel it's quite an interesting debate. Um, I mean, for me, as I said yesterday, I think he's up, when, when he's fit and he's right, he's Arsenal's best striker. There's no doubt about it in my mind. He is Arsenal's number nine. He's their best player. Um, the issue is, obviously, he's not been fit enough and he continues even when he played. Now, I, I spoke, I asked Mikel about it yesterday. I was like, is this the fact that you're still managing this knee injury? Does that suggest the, the operation you did in the summer or the, or the surgeons did in the summer to try and resolve the issue that he was still struggling with post-World Cup didn't work? And he assured me that it wasn't the case and that what they did in that operation did work. And this is a new niggle. So it's like, okay. And I was like, well, are you going to have to probably revisit the operation again this summer because you're still managing the injury basically now between games? And Again, he said no, which hopefully will be the case because we don't really want another summer where Jesus has to go under the knife mm. to try and fix this. So he's clearly still playing with this issue and you want him at 100%, but that not might not be the case. But even so, I still think he's Arsenal's number nine. Like I want him to play against Porto yeah. on in that Champions League game. When Arsenal go to play Manchester City, I would love to have a 100% Gabriel Jesus fit playing in that game for me, I just think he makes Arsenal. Awesome. I think it's, it's easy to forget how good a player Gabriel Jesus is because of the injuries, because of the frustrations we have over his lack of availability at times. Um, but I still, I still think he's Arsenal's best best option as a striker when he's fit. Do you? Yeah, I mean, looking at that second question there by KB is on. You know, the su- success of the mobile false nine style. I, I can't think of any of many players in the world 
better to execute that style than to be your mobile false nine than, than Gabriel Jesus. I, I think Ecope Kestaus raises a really important point that availability is an ability. And, you know, ever since this first knee injury over a year, well over a year ago, Jesus isn't showing that. And it's why the signing of this new striker or new forward this summer feels so important because Arsenal can't trust in Jesus's availability. Um, but if you could, would you even like, you, you'd be looking at a very different profile of striker and you still might be because you can't really get many that you can confidently say are, are better than this guy in full form. It, it has been a really long time since we've seen that. You have to go back to pre-World Cup, I think, to to feel like you're confidently seeing the best of Jesus over a run of games. But that level, like you say, Charles, that level is beyond any other forward in the, the, the squad, in that central position. Yeah, and like he does when he plays, he is but he is a false nine base. He's not no, he's not yeah. a normal number nine, is he? He does play that false nine role. So, um, yeah, and no, I still think he's a fabulous player, Gabriel Jesus. I think he's still got lots to offer. Um, did you see David Ornstein yesterday? He was doing his Q and A on on the Athletic, and he was talking about striker targets. And he mentioned um, he mentioned it's Sesco, isn't it? Benjamin Sesco. Mm. Have you seen much of him? Yeah, I've seen a bit. I've enjoyed my Bundesliga this season. Mm. He seems raw, like. Given the opportunity, uh, I think you would kind of want to give him. I mean, he's a real talent, great explosiveness, good finisher. I think you'd want to give him a bit of time to develop in the Bundesliga before diving into him, but maybe you can't. Uh, it's such a strange striker market. Like the other ones I really like, Ferguson as well. Yeah, David mentioned, said, said there was interest there. <laughs> A lot of money, though, Ferguson. Evan a lot Ferguson. of money for a punt, isn't it? You're talking about even... million pounds. Even the ones that are more established, Ossiman. I mean, let's set, let's set aside Ossiman because it's a sort of different financial level. But you know, your Bonnie faces. Who else is? Is Jokerez? Isn't there? Jokerez. They're they're just not. None of them have like four seasons of elite level production. Or if they do, like Jokerez is in the championship. So you. It just doesn't feel like there's a can't miss guy, which is yeah. why it's so important that you get Jesus right, so that if you take that gamble and it's not quite perfect, you'd uh, you'd still have a, a a number nine. And if that means putting Jesus under the knife, which evidently Arteta says it doesn't isn't, but you got to do it. Yeah, I think when you look at the number nines in the summer, the two sort of ready-made ones obviously are Osman and Tony, who that you know kind of kind of experienced top level strikers who are ready to go. You know, whether Arsenal go there, I don't know. I, I have a feeling they wouldn't. I think they would go for that more sort of that next level below where it's a bit of a work mm. in progress tri type thing. It tends to be the type of player. I suppose they didn't with Declan Rice. They went big on Declan Rice, who was sort of tried and tested. Um, so they might do that with the striker again. But Jokerez is an interesting one. Lots of people have been in my comments over the last couple of weeks or so keep bringing him up he's got this release clause he scored a lovely goal i did watch a bit of the game against benfica yesterday i was watching the highlights of it he scored a lovely goal for sporting yesterday his numbers are ridiculous this season and i mm. I, sort of, I didn't really know anything about him until i watched coventry last season um at the end of the were they in the playoffs coventry they were in the end they got yeah. to the playoff final didn't yeah. they yeah they got to the final didn't they yeah and i saw him in that and they were all talking about him and saying he was probably going to go at the end of this whatever happened if they didn't if they didn't go up he'd go and then he's obviously done amazing things in Portugal. 
And he does have all the attributes to be a top, top striker. And I was really impressed with his goal yesterday, the strength he showed, and his numbers are impressive. So, yeah, he's, he's certainly one to watch. And David David did mention him in his Q&A yesterday as well. And I think he's got a release clause of about 80 million, I think, something like that. Um, I would... But this is the thing is, it's, they're all gambles. I would be willing to spend a bit more for Ferguson. I think he... One, I've seen him do it in the Premier League. I don't want to be that. I hope people that watch this show regularly know I'm not necessarily that guy. But I don't know. I'm skeptical about Portugal and the championship. Um, but like Ferguson, you're you'd be paying a hundred million for a guy that that doesn't get in the team always ahead of Danny Welbeck. So it's it's really hard at the moment. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a striker from Brighton, I know. I mean, Jao Pedro. <laughs> Oh, Kip, Pedro's keeping Ferguson out of the I team, lot, scoring a lot more goals than Ferguson. So why is he not the name that's being mentioned rather than Evan Ferguson? I, I don't know. And he looks, and you know, I really like Jal Pedro whenever I see him play. I liked him at yeah. Watford, and I've really, and I like him at, I like him at Brentford. So it's an interesting one. Look, before we go, I just want to bring up this uh, this question though. It's from Sean. It says, "Hi Charles, do you have any update on Ben White's contract? Feels like ages ago we heard he was being." off New Deal, but seems to have gone quiet. Should we be worried or is it just a matter of announcement? Well, I'll just point you towards the interview you did with Sky Sports yesterday at the training ground just before Mikel Arteta's press conference. The sort of head headline quote is above in their tweet where he just says, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And he went on to talk a little bit more in true Ben White fashion um, to sort of add to that. And I think when you when you say, should we be worried, just I'd just point point you to that uh, that quote i wouldn't want to be anywhere else and you know i think it's only a matter of time uh, before that contact it looks like a man that out. would want to be anywhere else i i was speaking about that yesterday at colney and there was a picture that came up and i think and it was just basically exactly the same as this picture i thought that it's just so classic ben white of like i do not want to be talking to you go away i want to go back and just play football train i don't want to be sat in front of the media um but that's why England uh, squad scene that's why yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Um, wouldn't hold out too many hopes, but we'll, nope. we'll wait and see. Should, certainly should be in it. Of course he should. But um, yeah, we all know it's not just about football when it, when it comes to that. But yeah, I wouldn't be worried at all, Sean. I, uh, I'm very, very confident that an announcement for Ben White will not be too far away. Right, that's about it, James. I think anything else you want to talk about before we, uh, before we call time on this one this week? No, not really. Have you watched Air, the film? Recommend that top tip for our viewers. Watch Air. It's Is about the Michael Jordan one with um the Michael Jordan. No. Yeah, yeah, I have watched it. Very good. Yeah. It's very good, isn't it? It's quite weird. It's sort of the plucky underdog story of whether a trainer company will convince a man to wear some trainers. Yeah, quite enjoyed that. That's been yeah, my ben week. Affleck, really. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I watched that a while ago. Yeah, no, it is. That was that was good. Very good. You finished Slow Horses yet? Oh yes. December feels a lifetime away, but that that is just sensational television. I'm head over heels. It's Gary Oldman, the best I've ever seen him, and yeah, I'm he's, a huge Gary Oldman fan. He is unbelievably good in it, isn't he? Absolutely unbelievable. Can't wait for new series. Cannot wait for new series. Just but... started uh, Chernobyl again. We're quite late to some of these You're things. Late. You're late to these. It's very late to Chernobyl. It's, it's quite hard to convince. Uh, Hannah works very long hours. Um, and it's quite hard when she gets back to sort of say, hey, do you want to watch something about nuclear uh, disasters? She's generally like, no, nah, I'd quite like to watch Love is Blind. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. Michelle Michelle always falls asleep. We start trying to watch her series and, uh, and I'll sort of turn to her and she'll be asleep. <laughs> no, and it's like, are we ever going to actually get through this? We watched um, 
uh what was that one it was on it was something called like one day i think it is on netflix oh yeah one day on um, netflix yeah which was actually really good i looked at was it, it? I was like, am i am i gonna like this but i actually did really enjoy it i thought it was quite good yeah it's a good oh, idea i well. encourage hannah to watch that without me so i don't think i will be watching that <laughs> cool all right i wasn't expecting to turn into a tv debate when i asked is there anything else you wanted to talk about uh before the end but uh we better get going haven't we <laughs> we better get going i better get this one out thank you very much everyone for watching and listening as always myself and james will be back next week on one of the days what's going on next week is there, mid- is there a midweek game next week yes yeah, champions league's back oh yeah not for arsenal of course it's the it's first week yeah yeah of course so uh yeah we'll probably do thursday i imagine won't mm. we next week for that yeah. um looking ahead to brentford so and between now and then obviously i'll be doing my usual daily shows to keep your eyes peeled for that whether it be on here on youtube or on podcast until then mate thank you for joining me i hope you feel better have a good weekend oh. i'll catch up with you soon see you soon bye-bye bye-bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.